Welcome to Grape Minds, a wine-centric podcast where two wine-loving friends take a look beyond what's in the glass. We look behind it, too, discovering the stories, the culture, the history, and the people who make it all happen. I'm Julie Glenn. And we also taste a little wine along the way. I'm Gina Birch. Today we're starting a new summer series on grilling. Humans have been grilling since the Stone Ages, and every country and culture uses fire to cook in one form or another. In the U.S., I would say it's the official, unofficially sanctioned summer activity grilling is. It's something everybody should do. And I just want to let everybody know, full disclosure, this is a dramatic reenactment of a podcast (laughs) that we recorded yesterday, or last week, and then, as a result of electronics and personal brilliance, <laughs> we did not save it. So we are. It was not saved properly. It was saved somewhere. It saves. I have and then, no idea. And where then it's perhaps at. delete it. I have, I don't know. <laughs> or record it's, it over. Yeah, <laughs> one of one of many of the probably a little bit of all of it. And maybe a sign. But we're still going to power through and tell you all about grilling. And we're doing Argentinian wines with this, right? Yeah, you know when you when you think of um, Argentina or when you think of beef, Argentina is has been the capital, and and it's been home to, in in past decades, what are considered to be the biggest carnivores on the planet. So we figured we would start there. Nothing against Americans and grilling, because you know we take a lot of pride in ownership. But we'll get to the American meats and and wines that match them uh, in a couple of weeks. But we're going to start in Argentina. Totally makes sense. You know, way back in the 1500s when the Spanish uh, came over, they kind of dropped animals along the way uh, just to kind of, and then when they came back to see who made it and who did well. It's well, like a grant, like an experiment, a Darwinian experiment with to see what, who would survive. Yeah, basically okay. like real time. And so they dropped cows in Argentina and because of the terrain and the grasslands there mm-hmm. at the foot of the, the mountains. The, the pompous. The pompous. Yep. The, but not pompous and arrogant, yeah. but like pompous grass, like the stuff yeah. that, you know, decorative in the 70s yes. kind of things. <laughs> Although I think it's coming back. Everything's or, coming back from the 70s isn't it? and 80s. And Anyway, go ahead to the so the, pompous. Cows, the cows just did great. Mm-hmm. So we had all these wild, free-range Roman cows, uh, not roaming cows, all over the place. And I'm just wondering what a feral cow would behave like. I don't know. And what would the feral cow meats take? Meat ta- well, I guess free roaming it, ta- it would taste pretty darn good, I would guess. Well, it was totally grass-fed then. What would they do if they went to round them up to brand them? I don't know. A feral cow. They're not used to... Well, I mean, that would be quite a shock. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine getting a Pun brand intended. in the, <laughs> brand in the haunch and you're like, woo! Oh, or well, moo. Anyway. You know, beef production has uh, played a, a major part in the culture of Argentina, as we said, from the asado and the history of the gauchos uh, that were out in the pampas grass. And um, and then you have the, the, the grapes that are grown in that same region, which we know... Oh, in Europe and, and around the world, when you eat and drink things from the same area, they tend to just go together. They do. They just work right. Fabulously. One of my favorite stories um, in dorky food history, yep. which you know how I am, yep. is about Justus, J-U-S-T-U-S, Freiherr von Liebig, who, believe it or not, is a German guy. No, well, I would have guessed. I, I mean, I would never have guessed. Sorry. That, that was a shocker. <laughs> so he's a scientist, and he made a lot of contributions to agriculture and biological chemistry, and he's one of the principal founders of organic chemistry. But he thought that beef extract, a.k.a. beef bouillon, 
would be a wonderful way to replace beef in the diet of Europeans Mm -hmm. who lacked beef. Because, you know, they don't have a whole ton of beef in Europe because there's not as much space as, like, I don't know, Argentina. Right. So he um, went to Argentina. He ended up uh, producing a whole lot of beef extract and selling it as a nutritional supplement like a dietary thing and instead of just for cooking it was like you're supposed to take this it's going to give you the nutrients and the protein it's just like eating beef wow is what he thought slash hoped yet wrong he was not correct <laughs> but by then people liked the flavor of it it ended up being coming more of a culinary thing so that's so, we get the beef bouillon and yep. the beef bourguignon and well that was already there but i mean i mean i can i get that i can see that's interesting how that did affect um the culinary scene and and what chefs were doing and are still doing with that. Yeah, it was more like um, a paste, like a goo, rather Mm -hmm. than a cube as we knew it in the 60s. Right. But now that, you know, they've gone back to like that pasty stuff, you know, you've gotten the better than bouillon in a jar. (laughs) Yes. Stuff is good. It's way better than a cube, I think. (laughs) But that's just me. Anyway, so they had uh, tons of um, cows in Uruguay and Argentina Mm -hmm. that they call on. So um, it worked out. It's worked out as something more than a nutritional thing. Right. And when we talk about cows and and meat and grilling in Argentina, uh, comparing to the U.S., they're they're two different methods. I mean, they do it low and slow. They they go like, when we're talking about the old gauchos, they build um, pits and they have uh, clay ovens and they still do a lot of this. And then the grates right over the fire thing too. I ate at a restaurant in Mendoza and, and it was called Fire but it wasn't, it was a, in another word, not fuego, some, something like that. I know fuego, right? That would be the most in, obvious, but I don't That's know if it was me going fuego. for the low hanging fruit yeah. every time. <laughs> you did a great job. Sorry. Thanks. Thanks for helping me out there. Fuego. <laughs> um, and they, every single thing was cooked on, on the fire. On fuego. They boiled the water. Um, for the pastas, that's wow. all they had. And it was just, you know, one of these rustic places. And, oh, my gosh, it was so good. That's like I, us after a hurricane when there's no power yeah. we're on our grill. <laughs> but I think um, I, I I just, I loved when I visited Mendoza. I loved all, trying all of the different meats and different cuts and the way they were cooked. And it wasn't just beef. They There was a Francis Malman, famous chef. You had to have the baby goat when you went to his place. And, and I struggled with that, but I ate it, and it was darn good yeah but you like and, lamb right yeah i know but it's just the idea when you put the word baby in front of everything yeah. anything i don't want to uh, that's why you have to have a whole nother word like veal yeah exactly baby goat like baby cow baby baby sheep never I feels think good by the time i left i i joke that i probably ate an entire cow in one week when i or more than i ate would have eaten in, in like a whole year mm-hmm. uh, uh here in the states but um even the salad, there was a time where where I said, I just need something green. And I ordered a salad, and it was... You got a sprig of parsley. No, it was meat and cheese. It was, you know, <laughs> an antipasta. And I came out, and I was like, I surrender. I surrender. I'm just going to eat <laughs> There protein. will be no fiber in my life exactly. ever again. Exactly. But it was fantastic. Yeah. And the meat, you know, when, when you think of Argentina and you think of beef, the first wine you think of is... Malbec. Of course. Right. One of those noble guys... From Bordeaux, one of the biggies. Mm-hmm. That uh, that really, it's just flourished. It, it is the red wine in Argentina. When you think of it, it it's the signature um, uh, red grape that is grown there. And there are two different, uh, when you go to Mendoza, Mendoza is a really interesting place. Um, you've got uh, Luján, Luján de Coyo and the Uco Valley. 
and they're right at the base of the Andes. One is closer to the Andes, so it's a little greener. The wines are a little fresher, and you get a little more of those herbaceous qualities. It's a cooler climate. They're starting to get a little elevation. Mm-hmm. And then the further away you go, it's more desert-like. I mean, like tumbleweedy at, at times. And it's just you have these extremes, and um, it, it's really interesting how they, they affect them. But Malbec just it just flourishes. It does well in both. Remember how we had like a tsunami of Malbec from Argentina? Yes. That was really inexpensive, but super duper good. Yeah. And then they started putting Bernardo in that. Is it Bernardo the grape that they're? Bernarda? 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 And and started kind of trying to, it's like not watering it down, but like they're trying to stretch it out because there was such a high demand. And then the quality kind of went down Mm -hmm. and people stopped buying it because it all tasted the same. And now it's, it's. The good producers always always rise to the occasion, yep. no matter what the grape is. Merlot in California, mm-hmm. uh, Shiraz, Shiraz mm-hmm. in Australia. It just, yeah, there'll be always... those huge, crazy market trends where everybody and their dog goes nuts for Merlot. Everybody and their dog went nuts for Shiraz from Australia. Mm-hmm. And then Malbec was right after the Shiraz mm-hmm. uh, freak show. And then... Um, then it kind of died out. But then really good producers continued to produce really good stuff. And one of the things that they all, the high-end producers, really like to talk about and tout is their altitude situation. Mm-hmm. It seems like the higher the better when you talk to an Argentinian producer about their, their vineyard placement. Something that uh, I was just on a uh, on a Zoom call with the folks from Domaine Bosquet. Sure, and, of course you were. Um, <laughs> you know, we were just hanging out, drinking there. Just chilling drinking their Cab Franc. Yeah. Well, no, you and I had the Cab Franc, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. But um, I had some some Pinot Noir from them and some Chardonnay, and it was just really fascinating. Like, how are you able, you know, we just are so, I think, uh, think of one track when it comes to Argentina, Shira, uh, Malbec and Cab. And, and, and their, in their region, uh, they had such interesting terroir and, uh, soils and and uh, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But the the climate change is where I was going because you mentioned the Andes and the uh, yeah. um, the altitude situation. Yes, the altitude. Um, they were talking about now it's winter and they're looking up and they see parts of the Andes that has no snow on it, which is very odd. Yeah. And and it's bad because that's how they depend on irrigating the vines. That's their water the storage system. And so now there's no water up there. They're looking up there, and they should be skiing and looking. And he said, I see parts of the mountain with no snow, and that's troubling. What is that going to be for us in in the summer. spring, in the summer, and it's harvest, drought and, yeah, and drought? So uh, they've stopped issuing permits for wells for people, and it's it's going to become water. Because they're worried good. about a shortage yes. in the future. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I at know. least they're looking ahead and aware still. It's just only a year ahead, and... That's uh, really got to be scary for them. I mean, grapes like to suffer, but not that much. Right. You know, <laughs> they don't like to be completely uh, dead because they have absolutely no water. A lot of time on our show, we uh, find these producers that are very small and exclusive and hard to find. And, and, and we love finding these gems because we're wine geeks. But the reality is there's sometimes you're just in the, in the grocery store and you need an everyday wine and Trevento is one of those wines that I think we both agree from from Argentina that it's in the eleven dollar range, and we, so it's cheap. Yeah, and we tried uh, for our show when our first recording of this, we tried uh, the Maximo the Maximum Red Blend. It was named after uh, their winemaker um, Maximiliano Ortiz, and it was a blend of Malbec and Cab, and it just had these 
it had this great aroma at it, like um, uh, pepper and spice and these bright red fruits. And it just uh, had these nice tannins and it just lingered. And I just, I thought it was a really lovely wine for under t under $15. Yeah, I remember my eyebrows shooting up. Yeah. Because uh, I heard the price and I'm like, okay, what? here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that's really good. I would totally get that. Mm -hmm. And not tell anybody what I paid for it. Exactly. Although everybody kind of knows because it's really everywhere. But it's definitely an excellent bargain wine to present to someone who, you know, even a snob like us, mm -hmm. or like me anyway, um, I'll claim my snobness. But it was good. Own it. I mean, I own it, but it was really surprisingly good for the price. Right. And totally available. So that's always nice. I always like to know when I go into a grocery store what can I what can I get mm -hmm. that I'm going to enjoy and that's going to go with a, a variety. And they also have the Malbec, uh, the um, Trevento Reserve Malbec was was really f quite fantastic. It's 100 percent Malbec mm -hmm. and Reserve 10.99 still. Yeah, we're still in that 11 dollar situation. And once you get the tax added on there, it was a little smoky. It, it had again some nice bright fruit, and it was just a. It was nice and round in the mouth, and uh, it sh it just kept going. It's a lot of bang for the buck in that bottle. And you mentioned earlier um, that you were talking with the Domaine Bosquet people. Mm -hmm. They produce a ton of wine. They got a lot of different versions they and different do. bottlings. They have a lot under their label, and they are uh, the largest producer of organic grapes in in. Um, I almost said Oregon. I, I'm, I'm going coming back to the states <laughs> in Argentina, mm -hmm. the largest exporter of organically grown wines, and they have a bazillion different certifications. Um, one of the labels in their family is Gaia, mm -hmm. and it is Gaia is the Earth Goddess, the an ancient Greek. And mythology. the label's gorgeous. Oh my gosh, it's she just, just looks like an Earth Goddess. She, it's eye catching. It looks like um. Just a cornucopia of goodness in her hair, and it's about flowers and birds and flowers and fruits. And yes, birds and, and fruits, and it's, cool. it's and I expect it to be fresh and and because it's it's organic and vegan and all of those things. One of the grapes that we didn't really consider much is Cab Franc, and that's the one that we tried. Mm -hmm. I mean, consider much it from Argentina. Yeah, you don't think Argentina Cab Franc, you know. Never. But we tried it, and it was pretty good. And for me, an avowed not-big-cab-franc fan, mm -hmm. I found it to be pretty good. It was not bell peppery. No, didn't it didn't think. have that 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 really uh, in-your-face vegetal quality at all. It was fresher and, and mm -hmm. juicy almost, and yeah. but still something that would stand up to a, a nice fatty steak. Or... We like that. And, but then we also got to try the rosé for our drive-by tasting, yeah. which you can find after this podcast— It'll be it's, the end. It's our after hours part of the show. It'll be the point five. Yeah. Um for that. So but yeah, it was I like the rosé a lot too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that was definitely good. So those are from Dumaine Bosquet. And I think both of those are in the twenty dollar range. So it's just a little bit more than um than Trevento, but uh, you know, it's still it's still a super affordable wine and I tried the the uh, the Pinot Noir and I was very pleasantly surprised at that. The it was a regular Dumaine Bosquet. It was I guess what I'm not expecting, you know, something yeah. it's it's hard to be dis harder to be disappointed. Let me say that harder. Yeah. I found it pretty good though. I mean, I'm, especially the eleven buck uh, situation. That's yeah. always good. The Cab Franc's a little bit more. It was like closer to twenty. Yes, yeah. but definitely not bad. And and a cool thing to present, especially as um, Earth Day rolls around right. again in April. Um, that's kind of a ways off, isn't it? 
It's going to be right around the corner. It'll be yeah, I know. The way that these weeks have been flying yeah. by, seriously. <laughs> so when you're looking for these, the, it's a good uh, uh, red wine, even a white wine, to bring to a, a barbecue, a cookout. And remember that barbecue for us is, a lot of people think it's about sauce, but barbecue for most of the rest of the world is, is just the method of cooking. It's, it's the grilling, grilling use of the fire. Over the grill. Put a little salt and pepper and a little spice on there and just let the, if you get good quality meat, let it do its thing. And then pair it with a really good grill-worthy wine. And mm. I think these were grill-worthy. Yes. And my apologies again that we did not save so you don't get to hear us pouring slurping. wine. Slurping. Swishing around, and going, mm, mm, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I know but, you missed that. I know everybody probably. But the pictures that. are real, and so you can see that. And and please uh, listen to our drive-by rosé tasting because that was a lot of fun as well. That was we've converted a couple of big burly men we into have. pink wine fans. It's been fun too. <laughs> love it. It has been. A fab- I love doing the getting people that are non-rosé people. Yeah, to try no, rose. I, don't, I don't like pink. No, I don't want pink wine. Try yeah. it. Shut up and try it. Try it. Wait, I like that. <laughs> Great Minds is produced at WGCU Studios on FGCU campus in Fort Myers, Florida. Our producer for online media is Tara Calligan. Great Minds theme music is from Kansas City band Victor and Penny. The song is You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To by Cole Porter. To get in touch with us, check out greatminds.org. For Julie Glenn, I'm Gina Birch. Thank you for listening. Under an old